So, Lonnie, I've been doing some research, and I found this prophecy. Oh, God, someone's going to die. What makes you say that? Well, it's not like prophecies ever deliver good news. Nostradamus was never like, and the world shall be covered in polka dots and puppies. Nostradamus was full of shit, but fair enough. But no, this prophecy is about chipperish as a whole. Yeah? What does it say? It says, chipperish slays. Chipperish slays? That's a prophecy? Well, it might be less of a prophecy and more something I spray painted on the side of an abandoned train car. Ooh, you're a vandal. I know. I'm bad. Like Darla. <laughs> you're going to get a Darla mention in every episode, aren't you? Damn, Skippy. Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and prophecy girl, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and codex decoder, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Prophecy Girl, the season one finale. Prophecy Girl was written and directed by Joss Whedon, and it shows. This is the Buffiest episode of Buffy so far. A warning before we begin, every episode of Still Pretty talks about each episode within the greater context of all of Buffy. And as such, is fully spoiled. So get your prom dress and leather jacket on, grab your crossbow, and let's go on patrol. In Prophecy Girl, Xander practices asking Buffy to the dance, using Willow as a stand-in, while Buffy is out on patrol, killing vampires, and Giles, in his office, translates the Codex and discovers that the prophecy predicts that Buffy will die when the Master rises. At that moment, an earthquake shakes Sunnydale, delighting the master in his underground lair. What do you think? 5.1? The next day, Giles is distracted by what he's learned as Buffy informs him that things are getting hell-mouthier. Xander finally gets up the courage to ask Buffy to the dance, and she turns him down. He does not take it well. I mean, I guess the guy's got to be undead to make time with you. Jenny Callender approaches Giles, worried about the coming signs of the apocalypse, and he enlists her help in getting more information about the prophecy. Willow tries to console a pouty Xander, who asks her to go to the dance with him. She refuses, not wanting to be his second choice. You think I want to go to the dance with you and watch you wish you were at the dance with her? You think that's my idea of hijinks? In the library, Giles tells Angel that the prophecy says the master will rise and Buffy will die. Buffy overhears and decides to quit slaying. Giles, I'm 16 years old. I don't want to die. At home, Buffy tries to convince Joyce to take her away for the weekend, but Joyce has to work. She reveals that she bought Buffy a beautiful white dress for the dance, and Buffy tries to pretend that nothing's wrong. At school, Cordelia and Willow discover Cordelia's boyfriend, Kevin, dead in the AV room, along with a handful of other kids. Buffy goes to Willow's to comfort her. I knew those guys. I go to that room every day. And when I walked in there, it wasn't our world anymore. They made it theirs. And they had fun. Jenny shares her discoveries with Giles. The Anointed One is a child, and he will lead Buffy into hell. Giles decides that he'll go after the Master himself, but Buffy knocks him out to stop him. When he wakes up, tell him, I don't know, think of something cool, tell him I said it. Buffy goes to find the Master and lets the little boy vampire lead her to him. Xander and Willow discover what she's up to, and Xander goes to get Angel. I don't like you. At the end of the day, 
pretty much think you're a vampire. But Buffy's got this big old yin for you. She thinks you're a real person. And right now I need you to prove her right. You're in love with her, aren't you? At the school, Jenny, Giles, and Willow figure out that the vampires will be attacking during the dance at the bronze. Willow and Jenny rush off to warn everyone, while Giles stays back to do more research. In the master's lair, Buffy confronts the master, and he gives her more information on the prophecy. The prophecies are tricky creatures. They don't tell you everything. You're the one that sets me free. If you hadn't come, I couldn't go think about that. The master bites Buffy and dumps her body in a shallow pool before running off. Xander and Angel discover Buffy there and Xander gives her CPR, bringing her back to life. Outside the school, Jenny and Willow discover that the vampires are headed for the school, not the bronze. As they approach, Cordelia comes by in her car and they dive in. What do I do now? Gotta get to the library. Library. Great. Of course, we generally walk there. In the library, the group fights off the vampires as a giant three-headed demon with tentacles breaks through the floor and flails around looking for prey. Buffy, Angel, and Xander arrive at the school. Xander and Angel defend from the outside as Buffy goes in to face the master on the roof over the library, much to his surprise. You're dead. I may be dead, but I'm still pretty. Which is more than I can say for you. As all hell breaks loose in the school, Buffy and the master fight. She sends him crashing through the skylight, where he is impaled on a splintered piece of wood on the table down below. The vampires retreat, the tentacles disappear, and the group decides what to do next. Hey, I hear there's a dance of the bronze tonight. Could be fun. Yeah. Buffy? Sure. We save the world. I say we party. All right, Noelle, Prophecy yes. Girl. This is where it heats up. This is where it gets good. How'd you yeah. like it? Yeah, the, I mean, the, it's fantastic. This is, mm-hmm. it really is the buffiest episode of Buffy so far. <laughs> um, and this is, you've said several times that this is the episode where the show really begins to open up into what it would eventually become. Um, tell me more about that. All right. Well, Buffy starts out as a basic concept show, right? This little blonde that always bites it in the horror stories is actually the thing that the monsters have nightmares about. It's episodic. It's cute. It's funny. It's light. It's very much about that concept. Um, And we get a bit of a hint of what Buffy will become in the seventh episode, Angel. But outside of that, there's nothing terribly special about the show. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. But it's not yet... (laughs) Buffy, you know? Mm-hmm. And in Prophecy Girl, Whedon takes the storytelling deeper. He raises the stakes, pun unavoidable, I apologize, and goes No on... apologies. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes beyond this basic concept into real deep storytelling. Instead of relying on this cute idea of the little blonde beating the shit out of the world's worst monsters, he's taking the story deeper, ripping the characters open and seeing what's inside. And that's what Buffy is really about. This is what Buffy does. And by doing that, Buffy allows us to investigate our own darkest and most vulnerable spaces. Not many stories do this effectively. Buffy does it like it's an art form. So whatever (laughs) else is wrong with Buffy, and people can make arguments for some very real problems with the way this story is told in places, we will make many of those arguments ourselves. 
it delivers the emotional goods. And that's why we return to it over and over and over again. And Joss Whedon has been quoted saying, I don't give people what they want. I give them what they need. And while he's allowed his ego to artificially bloat this mission statement into a defense for any stupid thing he does to his characters just to be a dick, on a conceptual level, he's right. We don't want these terrible things to happen to our beloved characters, but we need them to because these events playing out on screen metaphorically are happening to us in our real lives in real ways. And having a story that's separate from ourselves that will allow us to process these events in a safer space is cathartic and necessary. That's a huge part of what fiction is for. And there's a point in season two where something happens to Buffy in metaphor that actually happened to me in real life. And it'll be the first time I've watched those episodes since that happened to me when we go through it in Still Pretty. And I expect that watching it and talking about that story here will help me process that event a little more, heal a little more from that trauma. Um, But aside from all of that, it's just great storytelling. In order to tell a good story, you have to be willing to torture your characters because it is only under extreme duress that we see who they really are. Prophecy Girl, when looked at solely in the context of season one, seems like the height of this idea. I mean, my God, Buffy dies, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but that's nothing compared to what this poor girl is going to go through in the future. And as we move forward with Buffy, she's going to move us through our own trauma and torment and pain. Buffy slays, but more than that, Buffy heals. And that is what Buffy is really about. Damn, woman. <laughs> Damn. That is that is my thesis statement on Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> like... Um, I mean, that is fantastic because I feel like, I mean, Buffy, of course, is herself the prophecy girl, you know, of this episode title. Um, And we really get to see just how multifaceted she is in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, it was it was hard for me to write my notes for this episode because I feel like prophecy girl is about so many things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about like what Buffy is about in a big way, mm-hmm. I feel like it starts, we start to see it here. But one of the things that just jumped out to me so forcefully um, was th- this is about being in community and the power of being yourself within that community. Mm-hmm. So, We have Buffy, you know, as the protagonist and the slayer, she has this unique relationship with everyone in the world around her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like we see that really, really clearly in this episode. I mean, she we see her one on one with Giles, with Xander, with Joyce, Willow and Jenny, technically, because Giles is unconscious at the time. Um, We see her one on one with Colin and we see her one on one with the master. And she has a different Mm -hmm. way of relating to all of these people in her life. Um, Yeah. We don't see her alone in this episode with Cordelia um, or with Angel. Mm -hmm. And with Angel, I mean, we don't really need to reestablish that relationship here because we have an in-depth relationship already established for them. Mm-hmm. Um, with Cordelia, we don't get much Buffy and Cordelia together in this episode. Mm-hmm. We have that great connection from last time with the parallelism of the May Queen and going through the whole ordeal with, you know, Invisible Marcy, um, right. you know, surviving that together. And the mm-hmm. way that Cordelia in, you know, previously has, has, 
acknowledged Buffy's strength and knew to come to Buffy for help and, you know, heeds her when Buffy tells her to shut up so that she can figure out what to do. So we've we've got that we've got the beginnings of the Cordelia Buffy relationship. But there's this really noteworthy connection between Cordelia and Buffy and Prophecy Girl, which is so rife with girl power. And it gives us this gorgeous symbolism to play with. Um, And I really I want to jump right into Buffy's introduction in this episode. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because it is a little strange, isn't it? It's very it it feels unusual when it happens. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I talked in the pilot about the show really telling us what it is right from the start, Mm -hmm. twisting the expectation of the helpless, scared blonde girl and the predatory boy. Um, And here we've got this fascinating introduction of Buffy herself into the world of the show. We go from Xander and Willow at the Bronze to a shot outside the high school at nighttime with a parked car in the background. And -hmm. then Buffy falls through space in the foreground in super slow motion. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the previous scene, Willow has defined this for us as the usual. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what's Buffy up to the usual? Well, what's up with the super slow-mo? I mean, right. for mm-hmm. me, it's this action hero, but also something holy falling from the heavens or a baby being born. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't completely know what to do with this. I mean, and then as she hits the ground, you know, she hits the earth flat on her back with this horrible crunch sound effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like this entry into the rough reality of life. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, I think in this opening, what I got out of that slow motion choice, you know, is that here we have Buffy, and she is distant from what she's doing. Like she's Mm -hmm. out there, you know, we have her say that was the third vampire that night. So she's been busy, right? Mm -hmm. And she's just slaying vampires onto the next one, slaying vampires onto the next one. And she's not, I think, connected. She's not in the moment, you know, she's slightly outside of it. Mm -hmm. Um, She's she's done all this killing tonight, right? But she's not hyped. She's not energized. She's just going through the motions, which is something that we're going to get to with Buffy later. Buffy Mm -hmm. shutting herself down in this emotional space is is something we're going to revisit often throughout all of this, partially because she's, you know, she's the slayer. So she's separate from everybody else. So that emotional connection is a harder jump for her than mm-hmm. it may be for most people, um, partially because her experience is highly traumatizing. You know, she's a young girl who has to spend all her time killing monsters, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that is a traumatizing effect. And that tends to shut you down and keep you kind of separate from the world. Um So I see her in this slow motion space that this is just, you know, a Tuesday night, right? For Buffy. This is just what she does. And she does it all the time. And she's not connected to it. Um, She's not feeling that power. She's just expressing that power. You know, it is not getting it's she's shutting herself off from it. Mm -hmm. So for me, I mean, that's how that read in that opening scene. Well, it's interesting, because, you know, if she's shut down from it, I feel mm-hmm. like the the slow motion and the the point of view shot that we get really connect us very deeply to her in yeah. that moment. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're deep in Buffy's point of view, um, yeah, especially when 
when we cut to the vampire's face as he's looming over her. I mean, that's an extreme mm-hmm. close up. It's not a it's not a true um, shot reverse shot construction. This is not literally what she's seeing, but it's her eye line, and she's yes. sort of zeroing mm-hmm. in on his face. It's her um, focus. Yeah. yeah, but it it gives her a sort of otherworldly supernatural quality this slow motion mm-hmm. movement um especially compared to cordelia right who's mm-hmm. the person that we you know we cut away to cordelia cordelia is making out with kevin in the parked car and right. she stops because she hears a noise outside mm-hmm. and i love first of all i love that in the car cordelia is in the driver's seat oh um, cordelia is always in the driver's seat exactly <laughs> Yeah, Cordelia's in the driver's seat. She's in the mm-hmm. driver's seat, you know, in this relationship to her mm-hmm. sexuality. But this sure. is also foreshadowing, you know, of course, her driving into the library at the right. end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, someone's out there. And dude bro goes, that's silly. Who would be out there? <laughs> right. You know, and I love the symbolism of that. Kevin mm-hmm. doesn't hear or sense the Slayer vampire activity. But Cordelia does. Well, yeah, because it's like that once you see, it can't be unseen, mm-hmm. you know, but for people who haven't seen yet, things remain unseen. And I love, you know, you were talking about Cordelia and kind of the relationship between Buffy and Cordelia that was established last week in Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we are. We don't get much of Cordelia and Buffy, but she is essentially changed. This is a different Cordelia now yes. from who we had before. She is part of the team. She has seen, you know, which is interesting interesting because she actually gained her ability to see when she was dealing with an invisible predator, right? You know, somebody coming after her um, who could not be seen, right? Um, And somebody who in in no small way, Cordelia contributed to her unseenness, you know? Yeah. But now Cordelia is aware of it. And I also really like too, is that we have the ordinary and the extraordinary, right? Yes. Where Cordelia represents the ordinary, the mundane, the regular girl, right? Buffy should be in her car making out with some dude, right? That Mm -hmm. should be Buffy's life, but it's not. Instead, she's out slaying vampires, you know, doing the work of keeping the world safe, right? Um, And Cordelia is inside the car. Buffy is outside of the car. Cordelia is inside the bubble of mundanity and ordinariness, and Buffy is outside of it. Um, But within it, Cordy can still see what's going on. And I really, I like all of that. And I like how badass Cordy is in this episode. When she goes up to Willow, right? And she's actually being nice to Willow. And I mean, granted, she says, I like your outfit. And Willow's like, no, you don't she's like no I don't but I need a favor she's so straightforward and even in that she's like and if you do it I'll talk to you at the dance you know I'll give you some social capital right Um, she's very aware of herself and her role but also she's being um, like respectful of Willow's expertise yes um, you know and she's being straightforward which is you know like yes I'm manipulating you you're too smart for that so let's just be straight here yeah Um, it's it's kind of nice and then of course when at the end, Cordy comes to save the day. She grabs Jenny. She grabs Willow. And then badass drives into the building. Yep. Like a G. I mean, she is so cool and so fun. And she 
and so badass. Cordelia is, and and she is all of that within the bubble of ordinariness, right? She yeah. gets to be a regular girl, but she's still badass, yeah. you know, through no supernatural, you know, talents, just by being who she is. And so we see her ordinary and yet still extraordinary. And then we see Buffy extraordinary, yet still ordinary, ordinary in some yeah. ways, you yeah. know, and they kind of really reflect on each other in such a nice way. And I mean, even to the point of their styling, like Cordelia's got brown hair, Buffy's got blonde, Cordelia's taller, Buffy's a little shorter, mm-hmm. you know, Cordelia wears these, you know, fancy, stylish outfits, and Buffy is wearing, a, you know, slightly less stylish you know, she's still stylish, but she's mm-hmm. not like that kind of, you know. So it's fun to see them reflect on each other. So even in a scene where they're not interacting, like when she's in the car, mm-hmm. they're still reflecting on each other. Yes. Yeah. And I love I love Cordelia at the end when she yeah. bites the vampire coming through the window. <laughs> see how you like she it. She is badass. She, I, mean, I mean, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, Cordelia. Yeah. No, I love... I love that here we have Cordelia being more honest. I mean, she's Mm -hmm. honest with Willow about what she wants. She's, and we see her sort of struggle a little bit with her own emotions, the back and forth of thinking that Kevin bailing on her is cute. No, it's not cute. It's annoying. I'm annoyed. (laughs) But she genuinely likes him, though, which is something we haven't seen from Cordelia before. Everything for her has been about social, you know, mechanics, Mm -hmm. right? Like when she was going to the dance with Mitch, it was about how is he going to look on her arm? Right. But here she is with Kevin. She seems to genuinely like him, to genuinely care about him, Mm -hmm. which is something that's that we haven't seen in Cordelia before. You know, like her her being genuinely emotionally connected, yeah, which is really nice. It's a huge turning point of an episode for a lot of her characters, I think. I feel like, oh, yeah, we get this huge. I mean, Buffy, obviously, she's the most obvious case, but I think we see mm-hmm. it with just about everyone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In, in terms of a shift in who they are or a shift in how they view the world or how they approach the world. I mean, Oh yeah. Where do we, where do we want to start? Cause we could talk. Let's start with Xander and Willow. Okay. That's like a, that's a nice one. We have Xander is asking Buffy, like finally getting up the nerve to say, I like you. I want you to go to the dance with me. Mm -hmm. Right. He's practicing this on Willow, which is insensitive because he, he has to know how she feels about her. How does he not know? Like, I guess when you're close with, I mean, they've been friends since kindergarten. Like, I guess when you're that close to somebody, you stop seeing those things like you're they're just there. And so I guess I can kind of understand, especially as a teenage boy, like his cluelessness to that, you know, and there are a lot of times, I mean, not even teenage boys, like there are times where I'll see that somebody likes, you know, like is flirting with somebody or whatever. And the person that I'm telling like they're flirting with you and they're like, no No way, way. you know, because Uh -uh. people people often don't think of themselves as being attractive enough that somebody would like me, you know, and Mm -hmm. Xander has a tremendous amount of insecurity. So I think that I think that he, you know, like has a clue, but he's not sure. So when he's talking to Willow and practicing asking Buffy out on Willow, at one point, it feels just clueless, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and in other ways, it feels highly insensitive. But Willow, Willow's response to all of this, I think, is tremendous. And it shows her maturity and her genuine 
love. Like she loves Xander and she shows that not by being jealous, not by being, you know, like treating him like he's property, not being possessive, but by saying, if you want this, I want this thing for you. I'm going to help you get it to the best of my ability yes. without without pressuring Buffy to, you know, to say yes or without, you know, without manipulating the situation, but saying, I will support you in pursuing what it is that you want because I love you and I want you to have the things that you want. And that is actual real love. And then later on, when he's being all petulant and pouty about it, which yeah. we'll get to in a minute, mm-hmm. um, and he says, well, you go to the dance with me. We'll hang yeah. out. We'll do all this stuff. And she's like, I don't want to be your second choice. Yeah. You should know better than that. Yeah. You know, and she's being completely upfront. Yes. Right. She's not dissembling. She's not hiding how she feels. Um, she's also not doing the emotional labor for him, which yeah. I think is really nice because women do that a lot. Um, she's protecting herself. She's established establishing her boundaries. She's valuing herself and yes. saying, I'm crazy about this guy, but I'm not going to take him under any circumstances. You know, yeah. I'm going to, I have my standards. I have my boundaries. You must be this tall, Xander. You are not this tall at the moment, you know? Um, <laughs> That's a that's a big strong yes reference to creating a list uh, that you must be this tall to go on this ride, which is what anybody must be in order to earn you as a human being, as a as a partner of any kind, as a friend or whatever. Um, so this is kind of an internal, you know, chipperish joke. But you must be this tall list. You know, she has a this tall list, and he's not there because he's not looking at her. He's just trying to basically have her comfort him. Yeah. You know, while he's mooning over Buffy, and yeah. that isn't good enough for her, which I love. I mean, we've seen Willow be vulnerable, really vulnerable about Xander, Yeah, you know, and how much she cares about him. But yet she does not, she is not desperate, Mm -hmm. you know, to take any little drops that he might throw her way. Like she is like, this has to be good enough for me if I'm going to accept it. I love that in Willow. I love the way that it's played at the very beginning when it's revealed (laughs) that he's practicing with her she's right she for her you know she says you can practice on me some more if you want in this very sweet loving way and we hear yeah. that like that she's enjoying this but mm-hmm. it's also it's for her like this exists strictly in a fantasy space like she is enjoying the fantasy yeah. of xander talking to but her she in this way knows it's a fantasy yeah yeah mm-hmm. but she's i mean Alison Hannigan's performance in this episode is just phenomenal. Like, she just blows me out of the water. And then that, you know, so she's like, it's this, it's this adorable sort of pleasure at the fantasy of Xander talking to her this way. And I love that she's eating something as he practices this. It's like she's, she's got her popcorn for the show. Yes, exactly. It's so great. It's so great. This Mm -hmm. is the Xander show that she's watching. And then... When she comes to check on him mm-hmm. and he's so he's so angry about how this has gone down with Buffy, she is absolutely 100 percent in her power. She's not going to, yes. you know, she knows exactly what he's up to in terms of trying to sort of, you know, pull the switcheroo and, you know, we'll mm-hmm. go as friends. And she's just like. No, no way. Mm -hmm. There's no way. And what I love, I love that he doesn't hear her at first. She says no. And as she enters the room, there's a just say no (laughs) poster behind her on the door. I I love the signs you picked up. The signs are so fun. The signs are so much fun. 
Oh, um, my God. But as she enters that, she's standing in the doorway and then next to her, before they've even started talking, it says, just say no. And I'm like, oh, oh, Willow. Oh, But God. she's like, she's remarkable in that scene. And he's just, he's just clueless. Mm-hmm. I mean, I. Yeah. I struggle with Xander and his feelings for Buffy in this episode because mm-hmm. I I mean I feel you like it sucks when you like someone and they don't like you back. It mm-hmm. sucks yeah. and it hurts and it's really hard to you know when you when you're upfront with someone and you say I like you. Mm-hmm. You know, will you go to will you date me right (laughs) you know will you go to the dance with me and they say no I don't think of Mm -hmm. you that way or no I really like you but I don't feel that spark I mean ouch but Xander then takes that to a place of entitlement yeah he Mm -hmm. it's he's angry with her she's very honest with him she could string him along you know, she could try and he's to... cruel to her. Yeah. He's mean to her he when really she rejects is. him. And he immediately apologizes. So I, you know, I appreciate that because there are times when you're in an emotional situation, you say things that you wouldn't ordinarily say just out of anger. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that like his, his response is, um, you know, is possessive and entitled, mm-hmm. you know, that he's entitled to her returning his feelings, which is something that we see, you know, in men culturally, I yeah. think quite a bit, you know, mm-hmm. that women get killed for rejecting men mm-hmm. you know and um so i mean it's it's a very like dangerous space for both xander and buffy yeah. you know in that moment because um not that xander's going to get hurt but that xander as a man who has been rejected can you know behave badly like that can happen mm-hmm. um so it's it's one of those situations that, you know, for Buffy is really hard. And there's the contrast between Xander's love and um, Willow's love, right? Mm-hmm. Because Xander's love is very much about I want you for me, yeah. you know, and Willow's love is I want you to be happy. Yes. You know, and that is the difference between immature, amateur love. Immature love is possessive and mature love um, is is you know about support and it's mm-hmm. about wanting you to be happy even if that means that you're not happy with me yeah you know yeah um so that's a really it's a nice reflection and you see willow and you know like interacting with xander in this moment and granted you know xander's a kid like yeah. i i understand where he's coming from i understand how he's feeling you know i i do find it uncomfortable because of this this cultural you know um uh, thing that we've got going on where where rejected men can get extremely dangerous Mm -hmm. because of that sense of entitlement and possessiveness um but at the same time you know you can you can feel that pain you can understand how hard that would be for him and especially with his insecurity that he is taking this personally as a rejection of him you know, um, because he doesn't see his own value at yeah. all. And that's something that I think you can you can sympathize with, even while acknowledging that this is a very, you know, problematic kind of attitude that does happen. Yeah. Well, and he opens the scene, he opens that moment, you know, bullying that other kid off the bench so that they can sit together, yeah. which I thought yeah. was so weird. That felt mm-hmm. so odd for me. Xander, you know, greets yeah. the kid and then is like, move. Yeah, I just thought like it felt so weird to me. And then when Buffy, when Buffy says no, 
Xander stands up and he cha- like he has to lord over her in this moment. He has to so hover. He's, yeah, over he's got to be. He has to stand. She stays sitting, and yeah. there's this real like, like I say, I have empathy for him because he's vulnerable, and she rejects him, mm-hmm. and he takes it. But he takes it too far. He takes it as a rejection of his entire self. And that's yeah. not what it is. It's, mm-hmm. you know, she says, you're my friend, you and Willow. Right. And yeah. this idea that that is somehow not enough. Um, yeah. I mean, is right. really the, the, troubling. The resentment, the resentment of the friend zone. Yeah. You know, is one of those very dangerous concepts that, you know, if, if somebody loves you in any way, you know, if they love you as a friend, like that is still love. It may not be the kind of love that you would like to have returned, but it is not nothing, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when he drops that line, that cruel line, well, I guess a guy's got to be undead to make time with you is such a minimization of her that the only reason why she likes Angel is because he's a vampire. If anything, that's the reason why she's trying not to like Angel. She likes him for who he is, for all of these qualities, which, by the way, are qualities that Xander could learn a thing or two from. Mm -hmm. Angel has some damn fine qualities, Mm -hmm. aside from being a supernatural, you know, being, right? Um, But it's so cruel the way that he throws that at her. Um, you know, as just a way of lashing out at her. Yeah. And it is like, you know, that is a little bit of emotional violence because she had the temerity to say no, that if you say no to a guy, he's going to hurt you in one way or another. Yeah. So another thing that I really like here, as far as like the growth of our characters is what we see happening with Giles, right? Yes. Oh it's my gosh. so great. Like I, oh God, I love Giles. Like here he is in the beginning, right? He's doing all this research. He's figuring everything out. You know, he discovers that, that Buffy is going to die. Yeah. And then he immediately calls Angel in so that they can discuss it. As they're discussing it, Buffy, of course, hears and quits, right? And she tells him, what good are you? Yeah. You, with your books, you sit here and you read your books. And how are you helping me prepare me for this? Yeah. Go ahead, you know, and she really lashes out at him. And he feels that so deeply. And he agrees with her. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I guess I'm not any help. I'm I'm useless here. And then we come back to him later you know we see him with jenny where he is dismissive of her and he's like i don't know if i can trust you which by the way good instinct giles as we move forward in the story um but but i mean like he is um so focused on on buffy and what he can and cannot do for her yeah you know that when jenny's in there and obviously they've got this thing there's this kind of like romantic vibe this flirty vibe between them right he is not even in that space at all like he is not he's not even there he is solely completely 100 percent just about buffy you know and i i love that and when you know he he takes that turn and he's going through you know the the weapons cabinet later with jenny and Mm -hmm. he's finding all these things that he can use to fight and buffy comes in and he says i'm going i'm gonna go out you're right i sit here with my books i'm useless i'm going to face the master and he is heroically trying to take her spot yeah he wants to die to save buffy and protect Buffy, it's not just the world. I mean, the world is part of it, but it's not about the apocalypse. This is about laying down his life 
to save hers. Yeah. Yeah. About doing more and doing better. Um, I love the way he receives her anger in that moment when she's, Oh yeah. She hears them talking and then that little laugh. Mm -hmm. Oh dear God. That, that hysterical, that like, I don't, I have no idea how to react to this. So I'm reacting in the, which is you know. which is how it happens. Oh, sometimes. for sure. Sometimes yes. when shocking things happen, you laugh. Oh, I know that. Because what else are you going to do? Yeah. yeah, I've done that. <laughs> I've laugh. done that laugh too. I've done that laugh. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just it's so horrifying. Yeah, you just that that's all you got. I have nothing. I don't know how to respond right. to this. And then mm-hmm. she turns from that that her her emotional roller coaster in that moment is unbelievably. Oh, it's beautiful. Gorgeous. It is so beautifully done. But Giles just receives that. He just mm-hmm. stands there, even when she's throwing books at him. Yeah. She's using, she's literally using his tools as weapons against him. And he just stands there and takes it. And I love it. Like it is because there's nothing that he can say to her. Yeah. There's nothing like she's, she's right in that mm-hmm. moment that there's, there's nothing he can do. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, and and God. the thing is is that she's not throwing them at him. She's throwing them at the wall near him. Yeah. Like she's not trying to hit him, she's not trying to hurt him, but she's showing him how useless these books are. Yeah. The thing that he defines himself with, these are useless. Mm-hmm. This isn't helping me, you know? Yeah. Um and that I think is just it's so powerful and you know, and you know that she loves him, that she cares about him. You know, she doesn't want to hurt him, but she's just wigged out in that moment and she's expressing herself. And the thing is, she's safe. Yeah. She's safe to express herself with him and she wouldn't hurt him physically. You know, she doesn't, she misses and you know, Buffy's got aim. If she wanted to hit him in the head with it, she would hit him (laughs) in the head with it. She hits the wall with it. Yeah. You know, true. Um, It's, it's wonderful. And it's so heartbreaking because the books are the only thing that Giles has that can be helpful. It's his knowledge. It's his wisdom. It's his experience. It's all of the stuff that's in the books. Mm -hmm. And yet they're no good in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's his it's his knowledge and it's his his memory for things too. It's his his yeah. actual like brain space. It's his it's his head because right. she um you know, ultimately she has to hit him in the head to knock him out. Right. But, <laughs> but he has all of this like when he's reading the codex and he's translating He's got that knowledge of the language. He can take that, he can take one language and, you know, translate on the fly. When Mm -hmm. Jenny brings up the, um, the Bible passage. Right. He knows it. Pulls it out. Yeah. He He just just knows it. it. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. he's got that. I mean, that is where, that's where his power is, is in. In his his knowledge and in his, um, you know what what he is able to carry in his mm-hmm. mind. I mean, and yeah. that's why that's part of why that first interaction with them is so painful because he knows he's read the he's read the prophecy. He knows she's going to mm-hmm. die, and she's just you know she's been going through the motions. She's wearing a press yeah. on. She broke yeah. a nail fighting vampires. Right, and Giles mm-hmm. is just rattled. 
by mm-hmm. all of the, and he can't he can't concentrate he can't focus on what she's saying because yeah. he has he's completely overwhelmed mm-hmm. by this information that he has yeah. about you know what's going to happen to her it's i love i love giles in this episode i love him so much i even love him with jenny which is funny because i didn't care for her interaction with him but i like and he's he does take a tone with her and he Mm -hmm. does you know just like just do it and i'll tell you why later but there's something about there's something about that that i like and maybe it's just you know maybe i'm just blinded by my love for Giles um but <laughs> I like that he's he is very you know businesslike in that moment he's yeah. like he's like this is what needs to be done this is what mm-hmm. I need you to do right just do it and then he says just do yeah. it yeah and she's like all right yeah. you know um I actually do like Jenny more in this episode um than I did previously although that's not a terribly high bar right. um <laughs> oh, but, the bar uh, is in hell come on yeah the <laughs> like, bar the bar the bar is not very high but I do like her better here I like that she has knowledge that she's coming in to help him the end is very seriously nigh like mm-hmm. she is she's ready to roll up her sleeves and and help and be part of the solution mm-hmm. you know um and I think that that's really brave and I like that you know I like seeing her step up and say these are the things that I'm seeing let's put our heads together and figure it out but she's also so far away from like he she doesn't understand you know the full context of everything that is happening and is going on right you know? and he has no time to explain it to her he's so focused on Buffy and anything he does any energy he spends on anything is going to be in pursuit of of trying to help Buffy so that she doesn't die mm-hmm. and uh, and so it's only when Jenny actually has something to offer you know, something related to this that he says, all right, go and do this thing, mm-hmm. you know, and he gives her the general's command and she's like, all right, you know, um, and she goes off after asking him to trust her. Instead, she has to turn around and trust him. Yeah. You know, no explanation of what it is, no deeper, you know, information, just do this thing. And she's like, all right, I'll get it done. Yeah. And I like that. I like that she's there with him when Buffy, when Buffy knocks him out yes. and she says, tell him, I don't yeah. know, think of something cool and tell him I, I love said that. it. Oh, God, it's such, you know, and and then to like to hit him and knock him out as a gesture of love, you know, because she is also protecting him and laying down her life so that he doesn't have to. Yeah. Like they're both doing this. It's it's a very strange gift of the Magi with each yeah. other, right? You know, yes. in this in this, uh, in this circumstance. Um, so really, such a beautiful extension of that relationship, and and a moving forward of that relationship. We saw a couple of weeks ago in Nightmares, right? That Giles' biggest nightmare was that Buffy would die. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so here he is living his greatest fear in reality mm-hmm. that she's going to die, and there is. No nothing he can do to save her. Mm -hmm. And that helplessness, that sense of helplessness, you know, is so strong. And so he's going to go into a situation for which he is ultimately unqualified. You know, this is not his strength. This This is is not not a good idea. Right. (laughs) Right. But he's going to do it. But he's going to do it because of his love for her. And through this, you know, whole thing, when she comes back, 
And, you know, and uh, Xander says she died. And Giles looks at her with such love and says, I should have known that wouldn't stop you. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That makes me cry every (laughs) time I watch it. The, The incredible amount of love that he expresses in so little mm-hmm. in a look in in a, a quick little comment yeah he expresses so much love for her and this relationship is honestly one of my favorite relationships in all of fiction it is so genuinely loving it really is it really mm-hmm. is and i love i just i love that whole coming together at the end of all all of them together they've all worked together and they've become you know we've seen we've seen everybody in various configurations of relationships Mm -hmm. along the way but here they are at the very end as a a septet a group of seven yes um Mm -hmm. there are seven of them and seven is the number of biblical perfection i thought that was very interesting interesting. Yeah. yeah i mean it's a very it's a very biblical episode for, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, for especially for a show that, that you know, we've talked about this before, but doesn't mm-hmm. really do religion, except yeah. it really mm-hmm. does. Um, right. Especially yeah. here, especially mm-hmm. with this, with Buffy's death and how that is portrayed and how like what what that means. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the context of the show, but also in the context of like Slayer lore you know in becoming who Mm -hmm. she is as the slayer i mean like it's i mean the episode is called prophecy girl right like it's Mm -hmm. unsurprisingly Mm -hmm. like it's gonna be kind of religious in nature but this is a biblical apocalypse that we're looking at right um Mm -hmm. You know, and we've got we've got Jenny's contact, who's the monk, whose brother Luca, who I would like to think is an invisible foil for Luke, the unnaturally large that. vampire. The unnaturally <laughs> large vampire. No, that's really interesting. I mean, I thought it was probably a thirteen-year-old kid with a pretentious online handle, well, but know. I like your read better. Yeah. <laughs> could be, could be. Right? But Who knows? It's fascinating when Buffy goes to meet the master in his church. She. Mm-hmm. She kind of, in a way, symbolically receives the sacraments. Um, okay. And I'm going to speak in terms of Catholicism because that's what I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but at baptism, bapti- baptism is when faith is given to the person mm-hmm. um, because the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit is invoked. Um, and then yeah. there's Holy Eucharist, which is First Communion, which nourishes that faith and um, and then confirmation, which happens usually at adolescence, about 16, uh-huh. which is what Buffy is, strengthens the faith and prepares the soul for the work of fighting the war between good and evil. Okay. Mm-hmm. So confirmation, which is really where we end up with with the sort of religious symbolism with Buffy, is about accepting the responsibility of your faith and choosing mm-hmm. to do the right thing. Okay. So Buffy, you know, the master bites Buffy in this moment. Mm-hmm. She dies. She collapses into the pool of water in the master's church. I mean, baptism, where that's a that's a pretty common image in Western film and television, the idea of, you know, baptism in the water. Um, mm-hmm. But prior to this, Joyce has given her her prom dress. 
which they yeah. can afford because, as Joyce puts it, you know, she's the because of the way she's the eating. Way you're eating. <laughs> she's not eating very much, which could mm-hmm. be seen symbolically as fasting. She's fasting yeah, in right. preparation for this holy experience of wow. slayer death. Um, mm-hmm. But there's but part of baptism is the presentation of the white garment. Um, and the celebrant, the the priest will say, you know, the person's name. So Buffy, mm-hmm. you have become <laughs> a new creation and have clothed yourself in Christ. See in this white garment the outward sign of your Christian dignity with your family and friends to help you by word and example, bring that dignity unstained into the everlasting life of heaven. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't really have we don't have Christ. It's very interesting. We have crosses, but not mm-hmm. Christ. So. I don't really know, you know, where to put that, but I just, I see that, that hint of that piece of the baptism, the, the baptismal yeah. rite in the presentation of this white dress. Mm-hmm. And then the cross necklace that she has ripped away, you know, when she quits, she mm-hmm. rips the cross necklace off and throws it to the ground. She puts it on again right before she goes into battle. So she's donning right. this symbol of her. Her, her faith. And when I say faith, I don't mean Christian faith, which is really strange because we're using all of this sort of Christian symbolism. But it's the it's the it's a like a slayer faith almost. It's the right. the duty, right. the duty to fight and, you know, protect the world against evil and the forces of darkness. Um So it's not and it's not so much faith in terms of belief as it is faith in terms of a kind of spiritual or supernatural call it. Um, Right. Well, one of the things that's interesting about that is that if you think about like, you know, where Christianity, where all religion comes from, mm -hmm. right? It comes from some core of the human experience that is shared. Mm -hmm. So I think that what Buffy is referencing, even though they're using like Christian symbolism to do it, is exactly all of those same things. Like Christianity is an expression of something that Buffy is also expressing because it comes from that same core human experience, but it's not necessarily, um, Buffy is borrowing these things again, Mm -hmm. as Buffy often does from Christianity, but it's not really about Christianity. It's just about the same things that Christianity also talks about. Right. And you absolutely could say, you know, if you wanted to do a religious reading of Buffy and say it is about Christianity because we talked, I mean, we talked already about, um, we talked already about the beautiful gesture of laying down your life for your friends. And that is the highest form of love as expressed, as expressed, you know, Jesus says that to his, his disciples, Mm -hmm. that that is the highest form of love is, is the willingness to lay down one's life for one's friends. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying it's like, I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. Christian. I'm not saying it's not. I mean, it definitely is just coming from, you know, mm-hmm. the United States of America, where we like to pretend that everyone is Christian, yes. um, right. especially in our media, uh, especially mm-hmm. in our film and television. We use a lot mm-hmm. of the signs and, and symbols of um, Christianity because mm-hmm. We like to pretend that we're all Christian and we like to pretend that we all respond to those same symbols in the same way. But I, I yes. agree with you as well that there is a deeper, there is that deeper connection. Um, I mean, when, 
you know, in my in my sort of Catholic Catholic light reading of yes. <laughs> what happens to Buffy in the Master's Church. I mean, the the when she's revived, when um, mm-hmm. Angel and and Xander, you know, uh, bring her back. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a kind of a communion in a way. I mean, it's a yeah. secular mm-hmm. communion because Angel pulls her physically out of the water um, mm-hmm. and Xander brings her back, which is bullshit, by the way. <laughs> We've talked about this. You and I have talked about this. Yeah. I have no breath. Angel's right. like, well, first of all, dude, he's standing there. He's or crouching there panting. You right. know, he's like, <gasps> right. and he can talk. Like, if you can talk, talking is pushing air through your vocal cords. Like, he has functioning lungs because he can speak. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I liked the symbolic. Um, yeah. Like that he is, it's not that he doesn't have breath, it's that his breath is impure. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, his breath is essentially corrupted. Yeah. And because of what he is. And so Xander has to be the one to bring her back, but that both of them together, you know, are able to do that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think that, I think that logically it doesn't make sense, but metaphorically yeah, it's, it does. Yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful metaphor because in yeah. receiving mm-hmm. Xander's breath, she is, you know, taking a part of him into a part mm-hmm. of her they are in communion in that moment yes. although mm-hmm. i have to say this is something that pulls me out of of visual narrative every single time when you do cpr on someone <laughs> when you do mm-hmm. cpr if the person starts to come to you roll them onto their sides always <laughs> because people who have have right. gone through that it will it, like it's you know it's so funny it's such a it's such a um, weirdly triggering thing for me, somebody being right. brought back mm-hmm. to life. Um, but that, it, and she coughs up water, and I'm like, "You dummies, stop!" You know, turn her you over know, on her side so that she doesn't aspirate the water back in. High fiving each other right. about, "Yeah, we did a good job." It's like <laughs> <laughs> we get. To, oh wait, she died. Oh again. wait, yeah. <laughs> come on, come on, you idiots! But you know, of course, yeah. it's symbolic. It's not. It's a symbolic right. death and reviving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's confirmed. Because she says, yes. I feel different. I feel right. strong. I feel yeah. stronger. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I like that. Actually, there's with the dress, with the white dress, I saw a three beat with that. Yeah. Right. And a three beat has three different contexts in every iteration. Usually it's establishing, then it's reinforcing, and then it's um, subverting. Mm-hmm. Right. That's usually how it goes. But in this three beat, we have three different beats of I like your dress that are reflected on each other. The first one is with Willow. Yeah. Right. Which is innocent, friendly, it's supportive. I like your dress. Like even in Willow's trauma of that moment, you know, she is looking at Buffy and saying, you know, I I see you. Yeah. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is really nice. Then we have the master. Yeah. In this very predatory, this very, you know, like sexually assaultive manner. Right. He takes off her her leather jacket. He takes off her protection. Yeah. And touches her skin like it is it is really, really like, you know. Uh, difficult to watch you know um and then he he drinks her blood Mm -hmm. and tosses her into the baptismal water where he doesn't think it's going to do her any good it's almost like adding insult to injury like you know you could have you could have been baptized you could have risen again but you won't because i've killed you yeah he's taken he's taken her innocence you know um so here we are in this white outfit which is often a symbol of innocence or purity Mm -hmm. right which with its you know um 
connotations of 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 woman's sexual experience is a little bit problematic mm-hmm. but i'm not looking at it that way yeah <laughs> um, you know even though we did just have that that very like predatory you know sexual kind of taking of innocence yeah. um with the master just a moment before and so she comes back from that and she says no i feel strong i feel different you know so that loss of innocence and the trauma of what she's experienced leading to strength and power made me think of hannah gadsby Yes. Um, whose Netflix special Nanette is absolute required watching yes. you know for everybody just drop everything and go watch <laughs> it there's a line that Hannah Gadsby says that says there's nothing stronger than a broken woman who's rebuilt herself mm-hmm. and so here she is up on her feet again I feel strong right yeah and then we have the final beat with the dress mm-hmm. which is Angel right Angel who has been avoiding her who can't be around her you know, who has been trying to stay away from her because of how he feels about her and because of the sense of that power differential between them, not just because of age, because experience, everything. Yeah. Like there's so many things that are wrong with this that he's trying to stay away from her because she is a temptation for him, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he says, you know, I really like your dress. And she cuts him off. So yeah, yeah, it's a big hit with everyone, yeah. right? So this is the time where she is taking back her control of the dress as uh, as an objectification of her right which is how it was used with the master yeah right she's not accepting that um but he is genuinely like flirting with her and expressing how he feels about her not just about the dress like the dress is the way that he can say i see you i like you you know um so it's a really interesting 3b in that rather than you know establishment and uh, reinforcement and subversion, we get these three phases of her relationship with her own power. So I like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is so much, there's so much just wrapped up in that dress because the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, look at that wedding dress. (laughs) And we've got Mm -hmm. Angel, Angel kind of looks like he's wearing a suit. Because he's got a white it's shirt. It's kind of a groomy. Yeah, he looks he's sort of... He's got that black... Groom. He looks a little groomy. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. they really... It really reads wedding a little bit. Right, um, right. But I love how many things that dress represents. I mean, it represents... Mm-hmm. In the in the scene with Joyce, and we get some great Joyce in this episode. I love Joyce. Oh, we do. I love when we get good Joyce. Oh, she's so good. Joyce is so often misused in this in this story but when we get good Joyce she's fantastic she is great telling the story of going to the homecoming dance and meeting Hank and you know and I just thought "Mm, cheaters going cheat (laughs) yeah no absolutely and that's just like a hint like if you end up with somebody who is with you while cheating on somebody else they're gonna do that to you too like yeah sorry but she's so I love the way she's trying so hard to relate to Buffy And she's, you know, of course, because Buffy has death on her mind, she's, you know, 16. She says, I don't want to die. And her mother is trying to connect with her on this, you know, it's prom. The right Mm -hmm. person didn't ask you. I know those feelings. I know how it feels to have to go. 
I know. How and when it she feels- says, you think I don't see these things, yeah. right? You know, and she does see, but she's not seeing it right because she doesn't have all of the information. So even as she's being so empathic and connecting with Buffy and that she bought the dress, I saw you eyeing it in the store window. Yeah. She saw Buffy looking at that dress and then went back and got it for mm-hmm. her. Like, this is the thing. Like, Buffy is seen. Yes. You know, everybody shows their love for Buffy by seeing yeah. her. And it's so lovely. It's fantastic. But that dress mm-hmm. just ends up representing so much of yeah. who Buffy is and then who she becomes, how she's changed by this experience mm-hmm. of right. being revived, coming back. So she's, I mean, physically she's changed in that moment, right? Because she's lost the jacket. She's lost the, yes. the updo. Um, she's less mm-hmm. guarded and she's less covered, but she's also more authentically herself. And I think I talked yeah, about that. She's more empowered. Yeah, I think I've mm-hmm. talked about that a little bit before with Buffy's Buffy's hair that, you know, the mm-hmm. updo is sort of like, okay, serious business. You know, she's going to yes. work. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, she's going to yeah. prom, but she's also, she's going to go <laughs> fight the master, you know, right. hair up, serious business. Yeah. And hair up and knowing she's going to die. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like knowing that she's going to die, like her plan isn't to go to the dance. You know, her plan is to die. And so but she still puts her hair up. She still wears the dress. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, I'm going this may be my only opportunity to wear this dress that my mother gave Mm -hmm. me because she saw me. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's it's nice. Yeah, it's really, really wonderful. But then when she's, Mm -hmm. you know, she's changed She's mm-hmm. physically changed and then her affect changes. You know, they're they're yes. walking mm-hmm. forward, you know, they're walking towards the school and she goes, oh, look, a bad guy. And she's got this kind of like not it's a different sort of detachment from what we saw mm-hmm. at the beginning. It's a right. It's she's no longer exasperated by the sort of um the work that she has to do she is mm-hmm. focused on the work she has to do and she doesn't have time for any of right. this you know this bullshit she's got to go fight the master right. um, she's transitioned she's transitioned from girl to yep. woman in this moment you know and um and part of that transition like a lot of times you know we do this whole thing where when a girl loses her virginity which is this fucking stupid construct and whatever virginity is a, a social construct now. folks Right. Virginity yes. is a social Virginity construct. A social it's construct. made up. Or, you know, when yeah. she gets a period, right? You're a woman yeah. oh. now, like all of this kind of stuff and whatever. What makes a girl a woman is finding her power, knowing her power and integrating her power. I that love is when that. you go from girl to I woman. I love that. Right. And that is how Buffy moves from girl to woman in this episode. And it is when she has gone from girl to woman that it's okay for Angel to say, I like your dress, mm-hmm. to see her. Yeah. Right? You know? So that's why, like, the, the age difference between her and it's, it's if you think about it at all, she's 16. It's really not okay. In this very specific circumstance, because supernatural, yeah. <laughs> because Buffy is a woman at this yeah. point. She has has gained her power and integrated her power. Um, because she is there, now she's crossed over into a space where they can have a relationship. Well, you know, it's interesting that that we come back to, you know, the age that she is. Um, because it comes up in this episode. Yeah. I mean, she identifies yeah. herself I'm as 16, I'm 16. I don't want to die. Um, but also... You know, when she at the in that opening scene with Giles, where she says that, you know, I have to go 
what is it? I've got to go face my horrible fate or something like that. Right. And uh, Mm -hmm. he's, of course, all rattled because he knows, you know, that she's going to die, but she doesn't know that yet. And she says, biology. And I find that fascinating because they could have chosen any subject, really. Right. And history is always the subject that's hard for Buffy. Yeah. Like, that's her struggle is history, but yet it's biology in this moment. Yeah, it's biology. But I think that's interesting because what what happens to her biology when she dies? Yeah. What happens? Like, what what is the Slayer biology anyway? Like, is she different? Is she the Slayer on a cellular level? Is she Mm -hmm. like, obviously, she's supernaturally powerful. Right. She is capable you know like she's she is extra capable in these ways but what does that have to do with biology and what does biology like what happens to her biology when the master bites her she dies Mm -hmm. xander revives her and then she feels strong like what what is changing for her on a cellular level and i know you know we don't get any evidence of this but it just it makes Mm -hmm. me it makes me curious. No, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, there's... It's, and there's something special and, and powerful about the Slayer's blood, right? Yes. He drinks her mm-hmm. blood and that's what gives him the power to be freed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is she because the Slayer only gets the powers of the Slayer when the other Slayer dies and she is then called, mm-hmm. right? So something changes in her physically at that point. She becomes powerful. Yeah. You know, but this is the realization, the full realization and integration of this power at this moment where she dies and comes back. Right. But in the in terms of having being now being available to have a real relationship mm-hmm. with Angel where they are much more equal, um, I want to say something about the knowledge, like the body memory of having yeah. this experience of dying and coming mm-hmm. back. I don't really that's not really a fully formed thought there. But yeah. But there's something I mean Mm-hmm. There is something about having had the physical experience of dying and then returning that. Well, I mean, death and resurrection yeah. is a huge, you know, I mean, it's a huge thing. The sun god, right? It's Jesus. You know, it's it's been in mythology across religions and cultures since the beginning of time, the death and the resurrection. Sure. Yeah. So there's but there's something there's something about that. <laughs> no, there's something there. And I just don't I don't know what it is, but I kind of dig it. And yeah. I'm like, and maybe, yeah. you know, maybe I'm just excited for the next like Buffy Angel relationship hurdle that they have to clear, which, you know, now mm-hmm. they've had all of these. They've had the, you know, end the apocalypse experience together. Yeah. I mean, where do you go from there in a relationship once you've stopped the apocalypse? Right. How do you keep it exciting? Right. 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 How do you keep exactly. the spark alive? <laughs> By by learning the plural of apocalypse, as we are going yes. to discover. <laughs> yeah. But there's so much. I mean, there's so much in this episode. There's so much. Mm-hmm. And it's all so carefully chosen. And it's all so meaningful. And I just, 
I could just talk about it all day. <laughs> I know. No, it's it's really really I wonderful mean, and there's it's so it's so deep. And for anybody who is really interested in going deeper into the religious uh, symbolism and the theological implications of Buffy, I do recommend the podcast Prophecy Guys, which are uh, two theologians, Sam and Jordan, and they talk about this stuff on a very deep Christian level. They have a, a very deep Christian background and perspective uh, through which they look at Buffy. And uh, so for people looking for more of that, um, I would definitely recommend Prophecy Guys. All right. Do we want to move into Arg the Patriarchy? <laughs> Shall we talk about the patriarchy a little bit? Before oh, we... let's just a just little bit. Just a little bit. bit. Um, yeah. I mean, we got some great shadow Xander. The, you know, sure. Xander's, you know, mm-hmm. male entitlement to women's time. No regard mm-hmm. for Willow's feelings about maybe being you know mm-hmm. Buffy's replacement at the dance um right yeah but you know we do get Shadow Xander and the problem with Shadow Xander is that usually it's not acknowledged as being bullshit and so in this episode I would say we do get some of these very dark reflections of the patriarchy and how dangerous it can be for a woman simply to just say no right mm-hmm. um, and in this case you know Xander is not physically assaulting Buffy but he emotionally assaults her um, and that is that is really hurtful you know but at the same time I think on the one hand um, we don't really get anybody, you know, slapping Xander down for his entitlement to Buffy, mm-hmm. but he what he does when she needs him, right? When she's in danger, mm-hmm. he goes and he gets Angel. Yes. The guy he doesn't like, the guy who is <laughs> as he would see it, his rival for Buffy's attention, right. right? And what he does is he goes to Angel and he says, "She thinks you're good. She thinks you're a good man." I need you to prove her right, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, Xander is putting her well-being, her best interests ahead of his need for her. He is inviting Angel in to be the hero that saves her. Yeah. And I like that. I think that that's actually a nice arc and progression for Xander, that he is putting aside, you know, his need for Buffy to like him. And placing her safety and well-being above that. And I think that that's a really good moment for him. I need you to be the guy that she thinks you are. Yeah. I need that from you. She needs that from you. And you're going to go and help, right? Meanwhile, Angel, <laughs> while all this was going on, was just hanging out in his house waiting for somebody to call him in. You know, I guess. To, yeah. to, put him on, to put him on the starter bench. Like he wasn't taking any initiative in this at all. Yeah. You know, he was called in by Giles. He was called in by Xander. Yeah. And even when he goes to save Buffy, he can't. Right. Yeah. He's not the hero. He doesn't he doesn't get a chance to fight. Yeah. You know, um, until until they go outside, you know, he and Xander stand outside and, and you know, fight off the vampires while Buffy goes and kills the master. Yeah. Right. Um. So I find that interesting that Angel is essentially passive in this episode. He's not taking action. He is being called in. Yeah. You know, as opposed to to really, um, you know, like taking his own place there. And I like that Xander is the one doing the calling. Yeah. You know, that Xander is. I think it shows growth for Xander, which is nice. Yeah. And desperately, desperately. Yes, (laughs) definitely. Definitely. No, I do. I do love Xander storming Angel's castle Mm -hmm. and telling him how it's going to be. It's that's pretty great. Yes. 
And then and it's good the stuff. little exchange between Xander and Angel when they're going uh-huh. to the they're they're going to the master. Right. <laughs> Look, I told you to eat before yeah. we left. <laughs> it is really cute. Yep, I I enjoy that immensely. I enjoy yeah. that too. No, I think no, it's really it, good. And then when they work together to save her, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. And then, I mean, in terms of patriarchal bullshit, we've got, you know, the master is super predatory, but of course he's supposed to be. He's the big scary yeah. monster. Um, exactly. Yeah. And then he is representative of the people. Yeah. And then he's he he is impaled as punishment mm-hmm. for. Yeah. For his patriarchal bullshit. I mean, he is the patriarchy. Yeah. Right. He's exactly. He's, what, what I love about the master is that he is so ancient like i love this idea that the that as Mm -hmm. vampires age because even though they don't age they kind of do like he's Mm -hmm. he's able to catch the arrow from her crossbow he can turn invisible which Uh, we haven't seen and just sort of yeah yeah that was a little i was like oh and then he doesn't he like telekinetically choke her or he yeah, he like pulls yeah. her in. He has this mesmerizing thing that he does, which, by the way, after her innocence is taken, is is not a power anymore. Yeah, like he she pretends to be pulled into yes. him so that he thinks he can still control her, but he the can't. hypnosis doesn't work on her after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after she's yeah. after she's changed. No, it's yep. it's wonderful, but I'm just like I'm fascinated by this idea that like the super old, super scary vampire is also super extra vampire-y <laughs> like he's got mm-hmm. he's got like old yes. and timey vampire knowledge he can do all he's, of these he's things he's vampire extra yeah. right yep. right and then when she impales him mm-hmm. right she throws him down he does but his bones don't i know what unlike every other vampire what what, <laughs> like, yeah. what? what's uh, i don't know I mean, what's that about? It's, I yeah. mean, it makes for a great image, especially in the yeah. in the center of the library, you know, with that that hexagonal. Is it a hexagon? I feel like it is the the. Yeah, I think yeah, so. The, or a pentagon, is it? No, it's not. It's not five. Know. It's hex- I think it's six. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, and okay. it would make sense that it would be six because six is, yeah. you know, six yeah. is corrupt. Six is, you know, the, the serpent was made on the sixth day and the sixth commandment uh-huh. is thou shalt not kill. And, you know, I mean. And seven is the number of perfection. Yep. Biblical perfection. Se- yeah. Is that right? Seven is the number of biblical perfection. We have seven. Mm-hmm. We have seven uh, characters defeating, you know, this evil, yeah. the mm-hmm. evil that is. At the yeah. end, we have seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, good has won over evil. And I think the bones are there, you know, for that great, so that we can pull back through the yeah. roof of the the library and, you know, just have this great mm-hmm. visual. Because a table, an empty table, maybe not so impactful. Yeah, right. Exactly. A dusty yeah. table is just a dusty table. <laughs> maybe right? not so impactful. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't leave a monument to what happened mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, the the dusting of a vampire is simply the erasure. Right. Yeah. But he's still physically there. He's just been, you know, he's had all of his power taken yeah. away. There's nothing left. Yeah. You know, there's no animus there anymore, mm-hmm. um, which I find really interesting. OK, so what is our girl power of the oh, week? Oh, geez. I mean, the whole damn episode. The whole the thing. Whole episode, right. Like, Willow, Cordelia, I mean, even, Jenny, even Jenny. You know, I mean, Buffy, obviously. Yeah. But like all of them, but we have girl power in different ways from all of them. It's, there are so many incredible 
moments of, mm-hmm. you know, their their strength, their, you know, physical and emotional strength. Um, but it starts, I feel like it starts, you know, right away with Buffy's, that first scene with Buffy um, mm-hmm. and the vampire. And she pulls the stake out of her jacket and that little smirk mm-hmm. when the vampire sees what she's up to is yeah. so delightful. Like she she's like, well, <laughs> it's this, yeah. here's what's going to happen. And she's just is right. so she's it's that that um confidence in her ability to mm-hmm. take on this challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's really really good stuff. All right, so Noel, prophecy girl, what's your favorite okay, part? I couldn't do one favorite part. <laughs> I can see I couldn't. That. <laughs> I could not do one yeah. because I had to I, like, there's so much there's so much good um so i chose i, I chose a tragic moment and a i mean it's not mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a an emotional moment i chose a tragic moment mm-hmm. and a comic moment my my yeah. tragic mm-hmm. favorite part because i don't like it but i like it is buffy going to visit traumatized willow you know it's yeah. sunset and the whole scene is played in this just, it just breaks my heart. I mean, ending mm-hmm. with yeah. Buffy, I like your dress. And Buffy says, take care. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm-hmm. a goodbye, but not really. And I love, I just love their friendship so much. I love how Willow sees Buffy. And I think she mm-hmm. might be the only one who really sees Buffy for yeah. everything that that Buffy is. Um, in this mm-hmm. moment, I mean, she's a super capable, supernatural vampire slayer. And mm-hmm. she's an ordinary teenage girl who wants to get all pretty and go to the prom and, right. you know, mm-hmm. not die. And I think sure. <laughs> I just feel like Willow, Willow sees Buffy both as an equal, both as a peer mm-hmm. and as extraordinary. And yeah. it's mm-hmm. It is remarkable. I love them so much. I love their friendship. I love their love story. Um, Mm -hmm. And I like that it's seeing Willow changed by the trauma of seeing the, the, you know, the massacre in the AV room that Mm -hmm. helps to Mm -hmm. empower Buffy to choose to die. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's getting ready to go to the dance when Mm -hmm. she is called to Willow's house. She's not, right. she's not mm-hmm. gonna, you know, she has quit. <laughs> she, yeah, she's right. quit. She's leaving. She handed in a resignation. Yep. That's mm-hmm. it. Yep. Mm-hmm. She, uh, yeah. she, you know, so she throws the jacket on to go to, to go to Willow's. And then it's seeing Willow and being with Willow in that moment that shifts mm-hmm. something in Buffy to the point that she can go yeah. choose to die. Um, yeah. And it just, oh my God. And it's just played so beautifully. They're both holding mm-hmm. it together, you know, but mm-hmm. not really. It's wonderful. So that's, that is my favorite, you know, super emotional, tragic moment. Um, and my, my uh-huh. favorite comic moment is Buffy telling Jenny when he wakes up, tell him, I don't know, think of something cool, tell him I said it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. See, I don't even see that. That doesn't strike me as funny. I cry when she says that, you know, because it's so it's like she doesn't even have the words for what to tell Giles to how to tell Giles what he is meant for, how to tell Giles, you know, like 
what it all means that she she doesn't need Jenny to tell him anything because she just sacrificed her life to save his and that is what can she say after that right it's what she's done it's what she's shown him that is is so much more expressive yeah you know so she's just like ah, I think of something cool and tell him there's just it. no you words know? because yeah. she's already said she's already said it yeah. you know yeah she's, which I think is really really she's a cool. woman of action <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite part of prophecy girl oh god you know when buffy hears she's gonna die and she does that laugh mm-hmm. and she quits you know mm-hmm. um how do you prepare me for this that whole thing sarah michelle geller is i think is an actress that it's very easy to underestimate you know mm-hmm. and to to see her as just another pretty girl you mm-hmm. know um, she's so much more than that. And what she what she will do throughout the rest of the run is going to be amazing. We're going to see this level from her many, many times over. Um, but this is the first time that she really has something that requires of her as an actress so much to pull this scene mm-hmm. off. You know, you have to be just extraordinary. Yeah. And her acting is so incredible in this moment. It always gives me chills every time I watch this scene. She's her work in this is so incredible. And so is Giles. Like Giles' work is great. Angel's just kind of standing there like a bump on yeah. a log. He's being a little passive, you know. But um, but what's going on with Buffy and Giles here is so extraordinary. And this is like one of the moments where when I say this is this is the first time we see Buffy become Buffy. That's what I'm talking about. That scene is incredible in its writing and its conception. And in its execution, what Sarah Michelle Gellar does with that material is breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. to go from to go from anger to fear to you know, recognition when she says, do you think it'll hurt? Oh, oh God. God. She's, she is trying to wrap her mind around all of this all at once. And it shows. I mean, yeah. it's all there and it's beautiful. All right. That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noella Loud. And use the hashtag #StillPretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on Forum, and join in the fun. Or you keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of one dollar a month or more, and gain access to the live chat in Discord, where you can hang out with me and Noel and all the Chipperish patrons who defy prophecy, and nothing you can say will change their minds. Visit Patreon.com/Chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Still Pretty by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review. That's one of the most effective ways to show support for any of your favorite podcasts. Or you can use your social media platform of choice to tell your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. All right. We will be back next time with When She Was Bad, the first episode of season two. Until then, we may be dead, but we're still pretty. Pretty.